You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer and NC Insider politics podcast. I'm Don Bond here with Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Julian Shenbero, and Lucille Sherman. So today we're going to take you outside of Capital City and talk about the rest of North Carolina since the legislature is out right now. And of course, we have our weekly governor briefings and other stuff going on. Um, But we're getting closer and closer to Election Day. And one of the big issues is the rural-urban divide, which comes up um, in a lot of different ways. Um, Just my own um, family vacation trip recently, I drove out to the Outer Banks um, and noticed everything from political yard signs to really thinking about how social distancing is like way easier um, in rural areas than in urban areas. And Colin, you did some traveling too recently and like not just North Carolina though, you went up to Virginia. What um, were kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, so it's funny just to watch the campaign signs too. You know, I don't know how much of it's the pandemic year and how much of it is just a lack of interest that we saw in 2020. But if you remember, uh, remember 2016, uh, there's, you go into rural areas, you see Trump signs everywhere. I saw only a, a handful of them driving up uh, towards southwestern Virginia through some of the uh, rural parts of Surrey County and across the Virginia border into uh, Grayson County, Virginia, and the same going sort of north to a couple weeks ago going into a Warren County area and, and Vance County. But certainly, like you say, it's so much easier to social distance. You go to a business, your odds are, you know, they let you go inside. They're perhaps less taking precautions than some of the places you see in Raleigh, but there's also fewer people there. Um, so they're probably perhaps less likely to have sort of virus spread in some of those areas. And certainly people are, um, well, I think mask usage seems to be somewhat universal and somewhat universally the same types of people don't seem to want to wear them. Um, there's uh, perhaps a little bit less of that the more you go out from the big major urban centers where people just aren't as, uh, maybe aren't as worried about you know, the state of things public health wise. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, just, I was wondering, just, be, I was in Nagshead and looking at, you know, I was thinking, oh, all these tourists coming from wherever, whatever coronavirus hotbeds out there that refuse to wear masks and everything. And I saw almost every single person I came across. I didn't go out too much, you know, just got takeout to eat and everything um, other than spending time with my family. And a lot of people wore them. So it was a pleasant surprise. And I saw a sign on the side of the road um, that said like, you know, the three W's. And I was like, oh, Mandy Cohen is everywhere. And it's part of that, I think, is just our um, maybe Raleigh-centric way of, of looking at things. But I think that apparently North Carolina has gotten the message out well to um, to out-of-towners because, you know, a lot of Outer Banks people, um, other than those that actually live there, I mean, some are, are here for North Carolina, but so many people from outside and stores had signs on the front, like wear a mask and you could buy masks a lot of different places. So um, I thought it was pretty much more usage there even than being out and about here in Raleigh. But, you know, of course, I've, we've also spent time at the legislature where they didn't have that. Lucille, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I actually ventured to Eastern Tennessee for 4th of July weekend and went camping sort of in the middle of nowhere out there, really on the border of Tennessee and North Carolina. And I saw the same thing. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I This is why you shouldn't make assumptions, but a lot of people wearing masks. A lot of people talked about the virus, you know, like it was a real thing. <laughs> um, and we stayed at this... Um, 
It was actually a little horse ranch in Eastern Tennessee. And so you just literally camp in this big field. <laughs> um, and so you sort of like walk by people sometimes, um, but everyone was sort of, yeah, appropriately distanced. There were people from Indiana, there were people from North Carolina. Um, and it really was sort of the same narrative, you know, that I hear in Raleigh. And yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by um, how seriously it's been taken, you know, even in places I didn't really expect. Definitely a little you? bit less than some of these other places. Um, I think I'd say like some of the grocery stores in Raleigh, you see like 90% of people wearing masks. When I went grocery shopping in Galax, Virginia a couple weeks ago, it was maybe 50%. So it's, you know, people are taking it seriously, but not everybody and maybe not to the same degree. Were they carrying fiddles? Because there's a big fiddler's convention in Galax. I think that's been canceled like everything live music oriented has. Julian, what do you think? I mean, I know you came over, you know, it's been a while since you moved here for um, your internship from California, but how would you compare North Carolina, um, just like random people response um, to California? Well, it's been a little bit hard to tell. Obviously, I've been spending a lot of my time either at the beginning in the legislature and then outside of that, I've mostly been confined to my apartment here in Raleigh. So not really getting to see, uh, you know, a widespread of people and how they're responding. Um, but, you know, it, it hasn't been too different from what I saw back home in California. And, and it's interesting to hear what you guys are saying now, especially with, you know, the places that you guys have been traveling to, because, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't been doing any traveling myself, but I've been speaking to some uh, health experts. And one of the things that was flagged as a potential big concern for them was um, any high tourist locations in North Carolina, uh, where they thought, you know, maybe people from out of state might not be getting the same messaging that the state is trying to do here, and they might be coming and bringing in the virus. And so obviously, these are like, you know, you guys have your anecdotal experiences. And so it's, it's interesting to hear that perspective of from you guys having been to those places um, versus like experts who have like had theories that this could be a problem. But again, it, it can be really hard to pinpoint exactly, uh, especially in rural areas, like where the risk factors are and, and what the kind of data is showing there because testing is, is less readily available or people might be crossing county lines to get tested and, and things like that. So it, it is interesting to hear like, you know, not necessarily for me, the, the comparison from California to North Carolina, but but even just the comparison of like, uh, you know, your guys' experiences going out into different parts of the state or out of the state, and then comparing that to the kind of uh, theoretical side of it that I've been experiencing here reporting from my apartment. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for, for me, I haven't really been traveling around the state like you guys. I've pretty much just been going to the food line back home. Um, but I live down in uh, Southern Wake County and it's, it's been interesting to see cause you know, I mean, that area is basically as much country as you're going to get in Wake County and you definitely see less mask wearing down here. Um, my neighborhood doesn't have trash pickup, so I got to take my trash to the dump. And, you know, when you go there, you don't really see pretty much anybody wearing masks, you know, in the grocery stores and, you know, when you're going to pick up your sandwich at Jimmy John's or whatever, it's not quite as frequent as you might as people who are living like in downtown Raleigh or Durham might see it. Um, so, you know, even, even within the, the kind of bigger, more populated areas, it, it differs here. Obviously politics is connected to everything. And, you know, like I said, you know, this area where I am, you know, there, there's not a ton or I shouldn't say there's not a ton. There, there is probably the majority of people still wear masks, but it's not the, you know, the 90% that somebody mentioned earlier. And also like the area where I live is probably going to be, you know, the most competitive legislative seats, uh, 
here in in the triangle next year um, with both Sydney Batch and Sam Searcy, who are Democrats who won in 2018, facing, you know, pretty well-funded and competitive challenges from the right um, with Republicans looking to take that back. But kind of on this theme, Don, of looking outside the big major areas of the state, when we do look at the the races for the legislature next year and who's going to control the legislature. It is not really all that much in wake in Mecklenburg counties like it was in 2018. Um, you know, 2018, you really saw a focus on the suburbs around the big cities. Um, but this year, if you're looking at the money and if you're talking to the insiders and about what's going to be competitive, you know, yeah, it's that, that Southern Wake County area a little bit, but it's more so like the triad and Fayetteville and Wilmington and, you know, uh, places like, Alamance County, Pitt County, you know, that are not the the big city suburbs, a little bit more ex-urban areas. Um, so I imagine that I will be doing a whole lot more traveling around the state as the election heats up, as will everybody else on this team as we try to figure out what's going on in those in those other areas of the state that are probably going to end up influencing our, our politics for the next couple of years. I think it'll be interesting to see how these campaigns spend their money because people's just daily habits have changed, you know, so is the money before on on events? Is it TV advertising? Is it just digital advertising? And like, where are people that they're looking for, you know, and do yard signs matter if it's not on the way to and from Food Lion, you know, the only yard signs I saw like going, you know, just straight out east were, um, I did see some forest signs, and they were in the same yards as Trump signs. So I would see like forest and Trump, um, and really just a couple. um, And that was it like nothing else for, for anybody else. It looked like it does like all the time. I pass the same, you know, antique resting um, fire truck that's in this yard that I look for like every single time. Um, and some of the, uh, the areas where the greenery has taken over um, some of the buildings in there and they're still there. And I took a sidetrack to, um, is it Tyrell or Tyrell? I'm not, I can't pronounce all our, um, all our counties because going by I've always wanted to drive through the downtown there um, anyway they've got some really cool houses and the courthouse is cool um, and it's, it's just kind of neat to see the uh, I spent a lot of time in small towns when I lived in Virginia but not as much um, living in North Carolina um, so it was, it was cool checking out things in the, in the state and I think one of the things with the beach that I saw people did not have masks on when they were outside and maybe that's some of the freedom, I think, that people are on vacation and they're with their family unit. And if they're outside, you know, far enough away from people, they don't feel as worried. And then if you live in a rural area and you're with your own family unit or your neighbors and you know everyone's business, then, um, you know, you're less concerned than if you have a family member in one of these, you know, congregate care facilities. And I think that maybe brings it, brings it home more. So I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. And then also um, with the school reopening and the differences um, with the urban versus rural on what your options are for um, virtual learning or in-class learning. And um, I, I think there's, I'm a Wake County parent myself, and there's no, there's no great answer that's going to please and fit every teacher and every parent and every kid and, you know, keep you from ever getting sick and, and all these other factors. So what do you guys think about that? So what I've been seeing uh, just in terms of which counties are doing what, there's a little bit of sort of a partisan urban rural split. I mean, certainly the uh, urban areas uh, have all elected to go at least starting the year with, with online 
uh, virtual education. Um, and then rural areas are sort of a split between some of the conservative rural counties um, that are led by Republicans have got opted to go back into the classroom earlier than uh, some of the others. But then there are others like I think Rockingham uh, and a couple other fairly red counties that have decided um, they do want to start the year off with with online uh, learning and uh, some of the different maybe just the case numbers that each county is seeing certainly if you look at the county by county map there's a a big difference in some of the per capita case numbers um, that I think the public health authorities at each local level is monitoring and that so that may give some more flexibility than others um, in terms of how they decide to start the school year but it's it's a little bit hard to put it in a, in a partisan bucket even though I think it's it is safe to say all the places that lean to the left are, are more likely to uh, have online learning than some of the conservative ones, but they're certainly not all in the same boat. Yeah, and that might be tied to money too. You know, it's it's easy to say if you are able to do your job remotely versus your boss told you you're, you know, going into the office versus what your internet connection is. You know, even in, in our own, we're doing this via Zoom today and Colin lives in Wake County, you know, and, and his Wi-Fi dropped. So obviously that's gonna happen with kids and and everything else and devices and what if someone has four kids or do you have four computers you know how is this all how is this all going to work there are a whole lot of parent facebook groups that are freaking out about this um and there's really there's really no answer that that's going to please everybody hopefully there there is some sort of consensus about the greater good of all students and and health and public education but um maybe i'm a little pollyanna on that i think don one kind of you know, ripple effect of all of this is we could see increased attention on broadband issues. Um, you know, anyone obviously who has been following the General Assembly the last few years, you've seen that come up, but it's sort of been a niche issue. And, you know, th there's a little bit of lobbying on both sides, but it's not really something that the, the broader public seems to really, really care about or know a ton about. Um, but now, you know, if you're going to see a, lo a lot more schools, uh, you know, particularly in rural areas where there are broadband deserts where there's just no internet, even if you want to have internet, you can't get it. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw an increased push at the legislature for, for fixing some of those issues. Um, it makes sense, you know, if you've got all these kids who are having to, to go to school online and, you know, they, they can't or, you know, they, they have really spotty internet, internet at home or, you know, it's just going to really bring that issue to the forefront for, for a lot of families that had never really considered that before. Yeah, in this past session, uh, they're using some of the I don't know if it's coronavirus money or something else to start a new grant program for satellite internet providers. Apparently, like Elon Musk's company and some others are uh, looking at expanding their network so that it's, it's better service you get via satellite than the old, you know, just subscribe through like a dish network type thing. Um, and that's, I think, considered pretty key to this sort of last mile situation. Because if you get to these rural areas, if you're in a fairly densely packed town, even if it's only a town of like 200, 300 people, um, which was where I was at um, in Freeze, Virginia a couple of weeks ago, tiny town, but I had decent internet service while I was in the town, go outside the town and my cell phone doesn't work. And I think most of the people who like live on a country road and they're miles from the nearest house have a hard time getting a wired internet connection in. Uh, so the legislature's hope is that by... Uh, essentially giving an incentive for the satellite internet companies to sign up more people in North Carolina's most rural underserved areas that they can try to help some of these people out at least as a maybe not the fastest connection in the world but at least something they can work off of for the next six months a year however long we're, we're dealing with this stuff. Yeah and actually I, I tuned into a uh, U.S. House congressional hearing in June I believe it was and, and Mark Johnson who's the uh, superintendent for uh, the uh, North Carolina schools he was testifying at this and, and one of the, the major concerns that came up at this hearing for kind of 
generally among law, like US lawmakers, but also that Mark Johnson was speaking about was this broadband issue and especially how uh, access will be um, provided for rural areas and, and kind of made available to all students when we're looking at potentially online classes. Um, and some, some ideas were kind of thrown around at that hearing. Um, some of the, one of the ones I remember is, you know, being able to drive out kind of access points for people where you drive out like a, a bus or something like that, that has like a, a virtual kind of Wi-Fi access that people can all tap into. Um, but it, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what they're going to do. And, and obviously it costs a lot of money to improve the broadband infrastructure across like an entire state. Um, and this is something I guess that people are kind of grappling with in, in many states, especially states with large rural populations. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what people do. You know, I know for myself as a college student, I was tuning into some classes um, and, and some of my classmates would have to drive to a Starbucks because their apartment didn't have Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, that's not really the best way to do your class on your phone from a star like the Starbucks parking lot. So it'll be uh, definitely an important issue to follow as we go back into the school year and, and see what people are able to do. Um, but lots of lots of ideas being thrown out and some of them are pretty expensive. So we'll see. One of the most interesting things that I've seen, and I'm not sure how much it's happening in North Carolina, but I've definitely seen people talking about it in other states, is sort of the rush to make school pods, like pods of homeschool students um, with other families. Um, and so I'm really interested to see, you know, how innovative we as a state and parents and public officials get in terms of figuring out how to make this work. And the school bus thing has always been really interesting to me, but what else will happen? I think there's sort of a lot of room for innovation and creativity that I think we'll see sort of evolve much more quickly than we would have otherwise over the next few months. Yeah, I think like just overall, the coronavirus has brought up like a whole bunch of different issues that like haven't been as much of a need. I know with the pods, a lot of the public education concerns are that it's um, essentially privatizing um, <clears throat> schools and, and the factors there are trying to hire away teachers and then, you know, who suffers? It's the same people that always suffer, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. And I was listening to some of the Wake County School Board meeting when they were deciding about Plan B plus minus, whatever they called it, Plan B transition, I think. And the school board members were saying like, oh, blah, 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 money from the General Assembly. And I was like, you think there's money coming from the General Assembly? You know, maybe there is, but I, I know that they're not the only school system, not the only any group, you know, that wants when the legislature comes back September 2nd, or if it's before that or whenever, like, where's our money to solve this? Um, and our political team is working on a, a voter guide that we'll put out and we've sent a lot of candidate, like so many candidate questionnaires out this week. And these are kind of the sort of issues that we want them to, to weigh in on depending on the race, but especially the legislature on, on what are they gonna do about these needs and coronavirus response and, and education um, too. So. One more thing that I will be curious about speaking of the legislature is if there is any more funding coming, what kind of strings will be attached? I know um, Republican leadership in the legislature is really not a big fan of how Governor Cooper has handled reopening schools. And so I'm really curious to see what they do or don't do, or you know what kind of things they try and change or maybe not change um, when they come back. I could definitely see extra school like safety and precautionary funding for PPE and other stuff being tied to, oh, you do have to reopen. It does have to be five days a week or something because they've seen you know messaging from Senate leader Phil Berger and others that seem to indicate that they're um, 
wanting that that option as opposed to uh, what a lot of these school districts are doing for now. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's plan will say that they're, um, you know, doing the, the best for kids and we'll see uh, where they can find the middle ground on that. And I'm sure we'll get some sort of, you know, extra surprise in uh, any of these bills that people just have to deal with because that's just how our state government works. So also, I'm not a parent, but a quick shout out to all parents who have had to like make choices and sort of grapple with how they're going to make this happen because it sort of feels like there aren't a lot of great options. Um, so I'm, I really admire all the parents in my life who are trying to, you know, decide how to handle this or what choices to make as well. I'll accept that shout out because I'm one of those. Um, and a lot of my friends, my school friends, you know, the parents of, um, that I know from my son's uh, school, or it's a lot of texting of like, what are you going to do? And, and, you know, decisions. And I went with plan B transitional. Um, so we'll see how that, how that goes, because there's, there's a lot of different factors. Um, so who knows if what that'll mean, how long things will be online or not. We will find out, I guess, eventually. Um, so we're about to headliner of the week. Uh, Colin, do you, uh, if you can pull up our last week's winners and then we'll be back with headliner of the week. Hey, uh, we're back and uh, looking at last week's headliner results. Um, the runaway winner was a uh, school reopening debate. Not all that surprising given uh, what we were just talking about before the break. I got 49, 47%. Uh, I think that was Will's choice. So Will will be sitting out this week, uh, followed closely by my pick for uh, prison software at, at 21%, uh, not very closely behind. And uh, online education and Thomas Ruffin statue uh, were the uh, last place picks this week. Dawn, if you want to go first and we'll go around. All right, I guess I'll have to come up with a headliner very quickly. Um, I'm going to say uh, out-of-state visitors who have heard or found out about Mandy Cohen's wear, weight, wash, and actually followed that. So um, I'm going to say tourists following the three W's. That's my headliner of the week. Lucille, what you got? Yeah, I'm going to say um, I'm new to North Carolina, so I don't know a lot about, you know, sort of this controversy, but um, UNCW professor Mike Adams, who um, was found dead yesterday, um, our education higher ed reporter Kate Murphy has been doing a lot of really close reporting um, and has done a really great job of handling this topic. Um, so I think that's definitely the headliner of the week. I've been reading a lot about it and have been glued to Twitter <laughs> to see what people have to say. All right, Colin. I'm going to go with the uh, bar exam controversy. Uh, my Twitter has been blowing up with this since I wrote about it earlier this week. Uh, people who want to be licensed as attorneys are supposed to take the bar exam next week. Um, and that's usually a big affair where hundreds of them sit at this big building at the state fairgrounds and they're there all day and they have to take all these hard questions related to uh, the law. Um, and there's a lot of concern that it should be canceled or postponed this year for the obvious reasons of coronavirus, the uh, bar associate or the board of law examiners um, is saying they're doing enough precautions. They're going to require masks and have people seat seated six feet apart. Uh, and they think that's enough. Uh, a lot of the people taking the bar exam are worried about it. I've even talked to some who are said they're taking out life insurance because they're so worried they're going to get sick from uh, being in this room full of people all day long. Um, and so far, so it has not been canceled, even though uh, Governor Cooper said during a news conference that he has concerns about it. So we'll see if that changes between now and uh, middle of next week. But uh, certainly got a lot of uh, debate going on in the legal community over the bar exam. 
I would think people have life insurance anyway, if you can, if your job provides it, you should. One would hope. I mean, certainly there are a lot of risks we take on in life beyond just the virus. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, Will, you won last time, so you're out this week. Julian, that means you're up. Yeah, well, Will will still get featured in this one because I'm going to go with Will's story for my headliner of the week on uh, NC prosecutors uh, keeping a Black Lives Matter protester off of a jury. Um, and his story is really great. You should go read it. Um, it's really dives into how like race and bias can factor into juries and especially how other states um, have challenged or have had legal challenges that have been successful to, you know, get a new trial when, when there's accusations of it being racially biased in jury selection, um, but how that has not really happened in North Carolina. So. All right. So y'all can vote in our, um, usually around the time that we post, um, Check out the Twitter poll at Under the Dome and we'll retweet it. So I'm Don Vaughn for Lucille Sherman, Colin Campbell, Will Doran, and Julian Shenbera. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.